Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. We had two really close games with them before, and I think we want to make this one count. I think this was kind of our last crack at them, and we didn't want to lose a third one to them. And I think it, it meant a lot just because we might play them in the playoffs just to have that grit in our game and play a full 60 minutes. Full credit to that guy, Tristan Jari, not just because he played a whale of a game Sunday with 41 saves against the Carolina Hurricanes and net for the Penguins, but also for admitting the truth. Tim Benz here, Pittsburgh CityCast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. Pens beat the Hurricanes 4-2 on Sunday, a game that I suggested would stay under, and it did at 6.5, but you were sweating it, right? Weren't you? Looked like it was going to be a nice, tidy 2-1 victory. Maybe an empty netter slips in. No big deal. Yeah, Crosby gets the length of the ice empty netter. That's fine. 3-1. But then Carolina scores to make it 3-2. So now it's a game again with under 90 seconds left. And Zach Aston Reese scores on another empty net. You're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, what the hell is happening here? But the hockey gods were just screwing with you a little bit. It stays under. Pens win 4-2. They get themselves a victory. First one in the regular season against the Hurricanes after losing to them twice. And that's what Tristan Jar was admitting there after losing two close games to the Hurricanes. The Pens needed that, I think. They needed a win against Carolina. They didn't want three losses in three tries going into the postseason against a division rival, a division rival that they might see in the playoffs. They didn't want for a few weeks or months dialogue hanging over them about, well, whatever the Penguins do, they've got to avoid Carolina in the postseason. Somebody else has to take out the Hurricanes because they can't do it themselves. 
They wanted no part of that, and beating Carolina Sunday mitigates that discussion. Although, as Mark Madden will tell us later on our Madden Monday podcast, of the three games between the teams, this actually may have been the worst game that the Penguins played. Often, after Penguin games, head coach Mike Sullivan seems to draw a pretty thick line between the process and the result. The Penguins may win a game, but not necessarily play well and route to victory. Under those circumstances, Sullivan has a hard time hiding his agitation most days. Other games, the Pens may lose, but they play well along the way, and Sullivan spends more time sticking up for his team than criticizing it, which is what makes the Penguins' three-game regular season series against the Hurricanes tough to evaluate. The Canes sitting at 87 points right now atop the Metro. The Pens in second place, 81 points. But the Pens lost the first two games, a 4-3 defeat on February the 20th in Pittsburgh. Sidney Crosby throwing a shot at the net in the game's waning moments. Then there was that 3-2 overtime defeat in Raleigh on March the 4th. Sunday, the Penguins managed to at least get one positive outcome against Carolina in the regular season by winning 4-2. Three close games, three contests that were in the balance until the final horn, none of which, when tied together, did much to prove any clarity for how things might go if these teams were to meet a best-of-seven playoff series. Here's Brian Boyle, who scored the game's first goal for the Pens. That our start was a little bit better, but there were stretches where we, we still want to be better, a little bit more consistent drive play. Um, but, I mean, they're tough. They're, you know, they're in your face, and they try to take away what we do well. But we capitalized on some chances, and we hung on, and we had a you know, great game from Tristan. Still a lot of room for improvement, I think. To Boyle's point, look at how the Penguins won Sunday. They got two points in the victory, yes, but they were outshot 43-22 as they were in Game 2 in the loss to Raleigh, 42-24. The Pens were hit with 11 giveaways in the final stat sheet. The Canes had none, but the Pens also had a 13-3 advantage in takeaways. They won the face-off battle for the first time in three games, securing 60% of the draws. They blocked 17 shots to the Hurricanes' seven. Pens only blocked five in game one. They stayed out of the box, drawing just one penalty, whereas the Hurricanes won the second game in large part because of Chris Letang, who was sent to the box for a retaliation penalty against Vincent Trocek in overtime. Here's where Jari thought the Pens were better specifically. I think we were just able to get uh, a couple more opportunities. I think the shots may, may have said something different, but I think we were able to get to the net. We were able to beat some guys to the net and capitalize on our opportunities. I think that's kind of how the games are won and lost is getting to the net front and being able to capitalize on those great A opportunities, and I think we did that tonight. For Sullivan, there were some nuances that may have looked better for his team on the stat sheet, but the overall picture of the game wasn't painted all that differently, nor was he expecting that to be the case. There's, there's so much familiarity on both sides. You know, I think they're very familiar with how we're trying to play and the subtleties of our game, and, and I, I feel as though we've we know their game pretty well, and um, you know they're one of the top teams in the league for a reason. They they have balance, they have mobility, they they have a, a real good collective team game. They're hard to play against, and and so um, you know I I don't think there's any you know there's there's any secrets out there. I guess you know with with technology and how hard coaching staffs work to prepare their teams. If anything, the further along we get in the NHL schedule, the thicker in the weeds we get when trying to split hairs between the Penguins and their Eastern Conference potential playoff opponents. 
the Razor's edge nature of the Pens and Canes speaks for itself after those three games. The Penguins and Rangers have played each other once, with the Penguins winning one to nothing in a nail-biter. The Penguins have played Tampa Bay three times, with the Penguins beating the Lightning 6-2 to and 5-1 to in their building, with Tampa boat racing the Penguins 5-1 to in Pittsburgh. The Penguins are 1-1-1 versus Washington. They're 1-1-1 versus Florida, with all three games decided by one goal. So yeah, you try to figure out the Penguins' place in the Eastern Conference hierarchy. Go ahead. To me, the whole conference is black and white. Eight teams in the playoff mix with 74 points or more. Eight teams out of it with 63 points or less. But within the haves of this haves and have-nots discussion, everyone is kind of living in the gray. For as much as we want to make a declaration as to why Team X is surely going to beat Team Y in a best of seven, but why Team Y could clearly knock off Team Z, no such blueprint exists. So I guess we're just going to have to play the postseason and figure it out, huh? That's something a Sullivan coach Penguins team that we saw in 2016 and 2017, that's something they thrived at. It's something that they've been terrible at, though, the last three years. So, much like the present, don't expect to find any clarity from history either. You know, one thing that may have been working in the Penguins' favor, and I mentioned the hockey gods smiling on you if you played the under in that game. They were smiling on me Saturday night when I hit a parlay of Carolina minus a goal and a half on the puck line against Philadelphia. Boy, that got dicey, but they won 3-1, to one, and I parlayed it with the Calgary Flames beating Detroit, which they did 3 nothing. But the point is, Carolina had to grind out a game against the hapless Flyers the night before in Philadelphia. A rare night when the old Flyers were the friends of the Penguins, really making the Hurricanes work. That game was 1-1 deep into the third before Carolina got a goal and an empty netter to cover for me and win for them. Then they had to shower up, get out of the arena, come all the way across the state to Pittsburgh, turn around and play a 125 start on a day when they lost an hour of sleep. That's brutal, isn't it? So I do think the Penguins benefited there. Hockey tonight, wow, just one game, and is it a dog or what? Arizona getting a goal and a half against Ottawa, that's it. That's the slate of games. Ugh. Ottawa at 47 points, the second lowest total in the East. The Coyotes at 40 points, tied with Montreal for the worst total in hockey. Arizona getting a goal and a half. If you want to play this game, suit yourself. That's like some sort of hockey gambling death wish. That's like some sort of twisted six sports gambling fetish, but you do you. Go ahead. Arizona is much better of late, having won 6-10. The Senators are losers in 7-10. Arizona plus 140 straight up. I actually love that play now that I'm saying it out loud. Maybe I'm talking myself into this here. Phil Kessel plus 310 to score. Phil has 27 goals in 66 career games against Ottawa, the most against any team in his career. Take the Yotes and take Phil Kessel, Stanley Cup champion, to score a goal for your lone hockey play of the evening. Okay, on to the NCAA tournament brackets revealed. Pittsburgh region is set. I think you're going to see lots of fans coming from Philly and Columbus, Ohio State in a 7-10 game against Loyola Chicago. That's the 12-15 game on Friday. Brutus the Buckeye versus Sister Jean. Give me hang on Sloopy there, especially since the Buckeyes are coming in as one-point underdogs as a higher seed. The second game, it's the number two seed in the South, Villanova against Delaware. The Wildcats come in at minus 2,000 straight, 16-point favorites. 
If I can get all the ones and all the twos, I'm going to try to run an eight-team parlay on all the ones and twos winning on the money line. So far, only a couple of them, Villanova, one of them. Uh, Villanova at plus 350 to win that region. That's decent value. I like Arizona, as most people do, at plus 150. But I think Nova is a really good value bet there. Maybe to win a 1-2 Elite Eight showdown. Tennessee, excellent value, too, at plus 400. The other favorites, Kentucky, a two-seed at plus 150. I agree there. They are my pick to win the national championship at plus 600. Get me in now, but you know what? Them being the regional favorite as a two-seed, the East is completely loaded with Baylor at plus 300 and Purdue at plus 300. If you took either of those teams, I wouldn't blame you one bit with the value payoffs there. And how about Gonzaga at minus 200 to win their region? Duke, a two-seed at plus 600, and Texas Tech at plus 600. That's got to correct, doesn't it? That has to come back to the middle, I would think. Yeah, I'm picking the Bulldogs to win that region too, but minus 200 with the, with the Blue Devils at plus 600, that's kind of steep to me. And Kansas is at plus 150 to win its region. I'm riding that pick as well. Back to Pittsburgh, the local bracket for PPG Paints Arena on Friday. Illinois, a four seed against Chattanooga. The Mocs are a seven and a half point underdog. A lot of people like Chattanooga in this game. I don't. I'm taking Illinois. UAB and Houston, the nightcap. Give me the Cougars at plus eight and a half. That seems like an easy play to me. I see them and Villanova as the two teams emerging from Pittsburgh and getting out of here on Sunday with victories and playing on to the second weekend of the Sweet 16. My final four, Kentucky, Gonzaga, Kansas, and either Tennessee or Arizona. I'm waffling there. My chalk final four is exactly what the gambling favorites have. Kentucky, Gonzaga, Kansas, Arizona, the ones and the twos. Here's my chaos final four, all right? And what a payoff this would be. Tennessee, a three seed coming out of the south at plus 400. Arkansas coming out of the west at plus 1100. I can't get away from Kansas or Auburn in the Midwest. I'm staying chalky there. And Virginia Tech in the east at plus 2500 to me. Uh, That would be a great long shot to put your money on with the way they're playing and the talent they've gotten on that basketball team. Let me give you another one. If you want a fun, huge payout on the first weekend, Richmond and South Dakota State to play each other in the second round. A 12-13, it certainly happened before. I can see it happening again. Richmond is a good team, and they're getting hot late. They won the A-10. South Dakota State has been good enough out of the Summit League to actually get top 25 consideration. Richmond is plus 370 to win over Iowa right now. The Jackrabbits only getting two points, plus two against Providence. That surprises me, but I think that's a smart place to put the line. Here's the deal overall on this bracket. Uh, If I look at it kind of collectively, my small college teams and my sleepers like those, like Richmond and South Dakota State, the the teams that I like, the underdogs, aside from South Dakota State, though, as a 13, I don't like their matchups. I do like that one for the Jackrabbits against Providence, but for instance, I want to have Davidson making a deep run. I love the Wildcats. I hate their matchup against Michigan State. And then Duke, potentially after that, because Duke knows and respects Davidson. Uh, you hear Coach Krzyzewski talk about Davidson all the time and Bob McKillop. They won't overlook him. Uh, they're right in their backyard practically. Give Izzo a week to prepare for the motion offense, and I think Sparty can handle itself. 
So I can't be on Davidson as much as I wanted to be. Some other teams and coaches maybe wouldn't do as much with the time to prepare for them as Izzo will. Uh, losing to Richmond in the A-10 title game, that hurt Davidson and got them off the 8-9 line, I think. And now they have a much tougher matchup against Michigan State in a 7-10 game. The other small conference team I loved and wanted to pick as a 2-15 upset was Bryant with Peter Kiss. I love Bryant and was hoping they'd get enough love that they'd be a 15 and I could pick them to knock off a two seed, but that's not going to happen. Now they're a 16 and they're playing in the play-in game and I kind of like Wright State too, but I'll go with Bryant here. I can't pick him after the play-in game though to upset Arizona. I just can't. Um, I'll pick him to cover though and I'll certainly take the two points against Wright State. You bet I'll take that. They'll win that game and survive, I think, but that's actually going to be a fun play-in game. I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, the other play-in games, Notre Dame taking on Indiana. The two teams that I wanted to see out from the Big Ten, Indiana and Rutgers, uh, I wanted to see those teams out. I wanted to see SMU and Dayton in. Uh, just a little bit too much love for the Big Ten as far as I'm concerned in that regard. There are a few Big Ten teams that I like. I told you I kind of like Iowa uh, even though they've got a tough matchup against Richmond, it wouldn't surprise me if Iowa wins that one and then does some damage thereafter. I do like Purdue for sure. And if Michigan State can survive against Davidson, I give them every chance in the world of beating Mike Krzyzewski and Duke and ending Krzyzewski's coaching career in just the second round. Uh, I think that would be a classic matchup with the amount of times that those two teams have faced each other in the NCAA tournament. All right, we come back. Mark Madden, it is a Madden Monday, brought to you by Bet Rivers. That's next here on the Pittsburgh CityCast. Bet Rivers Sportsbook wants you to experience rush pay. When you want to cash out your winnings, you don't want to wait two days just to get the go-ahead to withdraw your money. That's why Bet Rivers created Rush Pay. With Rush Pay, 80% of withdrawal requests are approved instantly, meaning you'll get your money faster. Why wait? Get your cash when you want it. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers Sportsbook at BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's a Mad Monday. Tim Benz with you. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go online to betrivers.com. If you had Tom Brady's retirement lasting under a few months, well, you won. Good bet by you. He's back. Mark Madden actually wrote about the prospect of Tom Brady going to the Steelers in the trip. Mark, you were prescient. Uh, should the Steelers have done something? Should they have been proactive? I don't understand the point of him retiring and then coming back in that short of a time i used to not think of him as an attention whore but this has attention whore written all over it what changed in that brief an amount of time to make him come back i don't know i don't begrudge him making that decision it's his life and it's his career but but i just don't get why he retired in the first place what possibly could have changed in that short a span of time I don't know, and if he had simply said, I need some time to think about it and figure it out, and that was the statement, just left it there, nothing would have changed in that regard either, Mark, because he made up his mind to keep playing before free agency anyway. So why bother saying that you're going to retire? Just say, I I need a few months to think about it. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, uh, I, 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 again, I'm not sure what else to say other than what we've said. I mean, it's going to be a better team with him on it. I know they're going to lose some guys 
in free agency, then again, maybe guys will be more likely to stay than depart via free agency now that Tom Brady's decided to stay. I don't know, for example, where this leaves the center, Ryan Jensen, who's scheduled to be a free agent on Wednesday. Um, I, I got to tell you, though, if it were me and it was my one chance to cash in, as a center who I think Jensen's 31 years old, I'd, I'd take the best offer. I wouldn't worry about no Tom Brady. But, uh, but you know, this, this starts some dominoes falling. It affects the quarterback situation in the NFL because now a quarterback's not going to go to Tampa Bay. So now that the Steelers have missed on uh, Aaron Rodgers, on Russell Wilson, and now on Tom Brady, I guess this leaves only Deshaun Watson his, in his flanks of lawyers and PR people. You know, I understand why, Mark, you're dubious of the Watson to the Steelers talk, as am I. Uh, I thought that the Sean King report that came out in that regard more or less was probably coming from somebody that King knows who's connected to Watson, and he floated it out there almost wishing it into existence. But I did see Aaron Wilson's report that the Browns are very interested in Deshaun Watson. Uh, What would you think about him coming to the AFC North? I got to tell you, if I'm Houston and I get three first-round picks and Baker Mayfield for Deshaun Watson, I feel good about that trade. Yeah, me too. I think that's good value for a guy who wasn't going to stay with you anyway, right? And I would feel great about Deshaun Watson coming to the AFC North in (laughs) Cleveland. Absolutely terrific. I I don't know if it's going to make Cleveland a a great team. It'll make the Browns better than Pittsburgh. If Deshaun Watson goes to Cleveland – The Steelers are by far the fourth best team in the AFC North, by far. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and even if he doesn't, they might be the fourth best team, especially if Mason Rudolph is the starter to begin the year, even if Baker Mayfield stays on as Cleveland's quarterback. Yeah, but but as I've been saying, Tim, you know, uh, on Monday, the legal tampering period begins, not to be confused with the age of consent. And and, uh, and I just don't think the Steelers are going to make any big moves the first day of free agency. I wrote in the Trib that um, they just aren't used to having this amount of cap. They're used to being shoppers in the first wave. I don't think they'll know how to do it. I think, for example, they'll be still negotiating with Ryan Jensen, even as he has already signed the deal with Cincinnati. I think on the first day of free agency, you call the guy you want up, he tells you what he wants, and you give it to him. You overpay. That's the nature of the first day of free agency. And I think the Steelers will just waste time negotiating and not really get anybody of that ilk in that first wave. I've made the point a couple times over that I feel like so many years of us watching the Pirates do roster construction has made our brains soft when it comes to seeing the Steelers, especially when it comes to this quarterback position this year where we – confuse what's a better deal with who's a good player like obviously Mitch Trubisky is going to be a better deal than Aaron Rodgers but that doesn't mean Mitch Trubisky is a good quarterback and now Mark he's been fluffed up so much by media outlets in Pittsburgh and New York and Carolina that he might be like a 15 to 18 million dollar quarterback that's that's no longer a good deal for Mitch Trubisky anymore yeah, but, but that said, Mitch Trubisky was the lowest I'm willing to put the bar to bring a guy in. Like, if they're going to bring in Jacoby Brissett, they might as well just stick with Mason Rudolph and, and Dwayne Haskins. Jacoby Brissett is not a noticeable upgrade, if even an upgrade at all. No, he isn't. And I suppose you can go with a veteran like that if you have no designs on drafting a quarterback. But if you do that, draft a quarterback, 
Now you got four guys, and I feel like you're just throwing numbers at the position, and none of them are particularly going to help you this year. Yeah, that's the point. I mean, maybe you just got to take it on the chin this year, and maybe that's their intent, Tim. Because I, I just don't just – I mean, do you agree that they're not going to make big moves that first day of free agency? I just don't just don't think they know how, and I don't think it's that intent, and I don't think they've ever done it, and I don't think they ever want to do it. That will make me madder than it ever has when they've refused to do this because they have the most means and they have the most holes that they've ever had. And yeah, but still they don't know do how it. to do it. Tim, they don't know how to do it. And, and here's what's going to happen. They're going to wind up bringing back guys like Chooks. You watch. They're going to wind up starting guys like Banner. You watch. Hey, I agree with you. I said it on your show that uh, Chooks is probably somebody who winds up with the Steelers because he can. Not because they necessarily want him, but he can. So let's just keep him because it's convenient. Do you think they'll retain anybody of their, their big-time free agents like at Edmonds or at Juju? I guess Joe Hayden's already gone. He's sure tweeting like it, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Um, I read where Jeremy Fowler went out of his way to list a bunch of teams that Juju could go to but said that the Steelers still remain in the mix. Uh, I do. You, do you consider Edmonds or Akella Witherspoon big time free agents or just starters? I mean, they're starters on this team, so I could see them retaining those two guys. Well, as I've often said about Terrell Edmonds, Tim, if you drafted him third round, you'd consider him a real good third round draft pick. Exactly, and yeah. you consider him a more than competent starter on your team. But you didn't, and I don't know what his price tag is, but yeah, at the right price, I'd keep him. At the right price, I'd keep Witherspoon. I just wouldn't keep Hayden. I'd move on from Hayden because he's too old. I mean, for a cornerback in this league with these receivers and and, and the big-name quarterbacks that are going to be in the AFC North, I just don't see him as a guy who's going to do anything but get worse. That said, who are you going to get to replace him? I've been reading a lot of, you know, tweets and, you know, the usual, you know, pretend media sites – Joe Hayden did so good here. They can't afford to lose him. Give him what he wants. How many playoff games did he win? Why don't we get nostalgic over Steelers who were the perceived leaders and best players in an era where they didn't do anything, where they didn't win big games, didn't win playoff games, no playoff wins in five years. Why are we sentimental about those guys? They don't, in my opinion, have to work hard to keep Hayden I would prefer to see them work hard to get J.C. Jackson or Carlton Davis. That's where I would, I would like to see them work hard in the secondary. Yeah, I don't think they're going to do that, Tim. No, I, I don't either. <laughs> I'm just telling you my I mean, preferences. You know what I mean? We, we've spent all these weeks and months having these delusions of grandeur because of the amount of money available in the cap, and it's just, it's just not how they operate. Mark, if you were the Steelers, and I'm trying to figure out a, a better way to say this besides all things being equal because it isn't, but whether let me ask it to you two different ways. If you're NFL Team X, is it at all different than you being the Pittsburgh Steelers if it comes to trying to bring in Deshaun Watson from a PR point of view? What, what, what do you mean? Because of the stuff with Ben? Yeah, because they had Roethlisberger before. Does that make it easier or harder for the Steelers to do? I don't think they're going to do it anyway because they're just not going to give up three first-round picks for a PR problem. But I, I don't think... Ben and what he went through, which is minuscule compared to what Watson's faced, right? I, I don't think it affects their, you know, willingness to do it or not do it. I just don't think they're willing, period. But, but as I've been saying, I wish they would get Watson because then all the women's groups in Pittsburgh would say what their priorities are by doing nothing. 
by protesting. Not at all, just like they did with Ben, just like they did with James Harrison when he committed domestic abuse. I look at the overarching conversation in the NFL and it seems to be strictly about was he going to get indicted by the grand jury and if it's just a matter of legal process then that seems to be a very thin line for me to use my own personal moral outrage you know what I mean like if you're aligning your stance of if it's okay or not based on what a group of people in Houston thinks well that seems pretty restrictive to opinion making uh yeah (laughs) what you said I just, again, I don't think it would be in the cards to get Watson, even if he had no charges that, you know, he beat or, I mean, what's the status of civil suits? Do we know about that? I believe he testifies in the civil suits on Tuesday. I want to say only eight of the 22 women testified last time I read, but that is very much still up in the air. They're just not going to do it. I mean, we can weigh the pros and cons of him as a player, as him as a PR problem. There is a thing to bring in Colin Kaepernick because they are the Sean Watts. Yeah, now Kaepernick is trying to leverage his way back. I, I, I'm going to say Colin Kaepernick, not necessarily leverage his way back into the NFL, but leverage his way back into the conversation about the NFL because no one's going to get him now after five years of being out. And leverage his way into making himself relevant again. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and, 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 Tim, the thing is that nobody ever wants to understand how good he is even now after five years off as a quarterback doesn't matter. How good he ever was as a quarterback doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. No team wants to alienate a lot of their customers by bringing in a guy who did what he did. And I supported him doing what he did, but I wouldn't hire him. Would you? No, for the reasons you point out, because especially like just coming off the heels of the conversation we just had about Watson, whatever percentage of your fan base you alienate by bringing in Deshaun Watson you're bringing in a 26 year old pro bowler at quarterback not a guy who hasn't played for five years and is going to be your backup yeah there's the potential that Deshaun Watson could play good enough to make you kind of forget what he was accused of Mm -hmm. whereas Colin Kaepernick just couldn't play good enough Mark, let's uh, let's get to hockey. Penguins beat the Carolina Hurricanes today. They lost the first two times against them, but I don't necessarily know that for a 60-minute span of time that they actually played better against Carolina today. What do you think? No, I think of the three games against Carolina, they played their worst hockey in the game they lost. That said... You mean worst hockey in the game bad. that they won, right? I'm sorry, the game they won today, right. Yeah. That said, they didn't play bad today. I, I think these games against Vegas and Carolina... They didn't play at their best, but they survived against good teams, which is what the playoffs are all about sometimes. You can't play good every night in the playoffs either. There's such a razor's edge mark for all of these teams atop the East. I can't really glean a mismatch or a matchup problem of grand degree for any one team over the other. Can you? Um, I don't know. I mean... One thing about the Carolina matchup is that Stahl gives Sid fits. That matchup, which Brindamore's pursued, Stahl versus Sid, is real tough on Sid because Stahl, you know, is all over him physically. He's not battering him, but he's just a big, strong guy. So so that's one thing to consider in a Carolina matchup. The Rangers, we all know about Shesterkin. And, uh, you know, Washington, to me, is still a heavy team. And I think the Penguins would beat them. I think the Penguins could beat any of these teams. Would beat Washington, would beat New York, could beat Carolina. But I don't think there's any such thing, and and this includes the Atlantic teams, obviously. There's no easy matchup for the Penguins in these playoffs. I don't think there's any easy matchup 
for anybody on the eastern side of the bracket in any round. They did a nice job in the face-off circle today, winning nearly... Yeah, what, 60%, right? Yeah, and that resonated with me because of what Brian Burke said on the X during the GM show about face-offs. Did you hear that part of the conversation with Getzoff by any chance? I did not, but tell me. The question was about how evenly matched everybody is in the East and, and how important is home ice advantage because of the matchup angle. And Burke sort of refuted that line of conversation by saying, look, you can neutralize any coach that's digging for a matchup by winning the faceoff. If you're a good faceoff team, get control of the puck, and then you can dictate back by, once you have control of the puck, getting your line out there against a line that they didn't want. So like, no, no, that's a real good point. And, and I thought that was a real salient observation by Burke to bring up, and maybe one we don't talk about enough when it comes to home ice matchup conversation in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, but but uh, at any rate, they better win the draws because that's a tough matchup for Sid. And, and But Sully doesn't worry about that. Everything Berkey said is true, but I don't think Sully would do that quick switcheroo. He never has. And that's the second part of the conversation. You know, it's a great point, but is it even going to matter to his own head coach should push come to shove? Right, exactly right, exactly right Tim. Uh, you know, I think Sully's the best coach the Penguins have ever had. Because he has his finger on the pulse of the team, and I like what he's done with getting Kapanen out, getting Pedersen out, rewarding Friedman for playing well, getting his Ahorny in there a game. But but he is stubborn in certain aspects as well. How about Friedman turning into the Dennis Rodman of hockey? He all he does is take charges, Mark. He just gets people to the penalty box. Tim, one thing he'll never do for me is get his girlfriend Carmen Electra to strip for me in a club. <laughs> in Chicago, not just for me, but it was still really good. Really good. And when I say really good, I mean really good. Uh, th- that that shortcoming aside, uh, Friedman does seem to get people agitated and gives the Penguins power play chances, which is important. Yeah, he's, he's drawn 11 penalties in just 19 games, which is as many as Sid's drawn in almost 50 games. And, and Sid actually has not gotten the benefit of the dot on calls this year, but that's a whole nother conversation. But, uh, but at any rate... Um, I, I, I'm not going to run out and trade Pedersen or Marino, even though Pedersen got scratched it because Friedman's played well in a short sample of games. But it's good to know he can do that, and it's good to see Sully reward him for playing well. What would you do in terms of trades? Anything? Because it sure sounds like Hextall and Burke are trying to make it sound like they're going to do nothing. I think for part of the reason we just outlined – it's still screaming to get somebody else who can score up front to either play with Malkin or score, help the scoring on the bottom six. So Carter can stay with Malkin. Tim, I would trade all our bad players for all their good players. This is my plan. No, I mean, I just don't see how they can make it, make a significant deal. Then again, I thought that last year when they got Carter, Mm -hmm. but I just don't see a trade to be made unless they do player for player which I think they're reluctant to do. And I don't know that from talking to people. That's just my hunch. How about you? It's one of these deals, Mark, with the, the more that I hear Hextall and Burke talk, the more I think, you know, they're going so far out of their way to say, we love our team so much, we can't do anything, that they're almost trying to bait people into making them an offer. Yeah, but I think I think every GM does that. I don't, I don't think any GM's ever gone into a trade deadline saying, we're going to make a lot of deals, we hate our team. Uh, Rutherford was close a couple times, but that's Rutherford. He's a bird of a different feather. I miss Rutherford. 
Well, maybe they could work with Rutherford to get JT Miller. That wouldn't be bad. Yeah, I think Jim's going to get a lot better offer for JT Miller, don't you? And I think it's going to be the Rangers. Yeah, I think the Rangers were probably ill-advised to let him go in the first place. And now they can, they're in a better position to get him back. But, Tim, here, here's the thing about them making a trade, okay? I think Friedman's playing really well. And I like the jam he brings, the, the stirring the pot. I think Ruedel's played really good, too, this year, don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay, I can't have them both as regulars. You know what I mean? One is the regular I can live with. I can't have them both as regulars. I can't trade Pedersen assuming that, that Friedman fills in. I can't. I, I just I just don't trust both of them in the lineup. Because then, God forbid, a defenseman gets hurt who's not either of them. I'll tell you one thing I would do, though. I would take the educated gamble of trading a Pedersen if, if POJ yeah. played. Because yeah. I think he's got the higher upside. Is he ready, though, especially come playoff time? I would have liked to have seen him get more regular season action uh, before making a deal like that and presume that he's going to be a regular. Oh, Tim, I'm not saying I would look to do that. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying that's the risk I would take. I wouldn't take the risk of Friedman and Ruedel both as regulars. Mark, we're uh, 20 minutes in and we haven't talked about baseball coming back, which uh, actually don't blame us for that. I, I was prepared to not talk about it at all. <laughs> well, I was prepared to not talk about March Madness either. I, I did a monologue Friday, the list. MLB and March Madness made the list because right now there's no buzz for either in Pittsburgh, despite both actually being in Pittsburgh. The only thing that seems to be generating any conversation about the Pirates specifically, not just baseball coming back at large, but the Pirates specifically is, hey, do you think they'll trade Brian Reynolds now? And if they're trading Brian Reynolds, then why are you playing Major League Baseball? Well, I mean, is that in play? I mean, you hear rumors, but I think that's wishful thinking on the part of other teams, don't you? I mean, I tend to go uh, that way. That's the way Rosenthal, Ken Rosenthal, sort of described it in the Athletic. And because um, correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, the Atlanta Braves have been trying to make that a self-fulfilling prophecy for the best part of six months. Uh, Florida too. Uh, excuse me, the Marlins. Yeah, the Marlins as well. Yeah. So I, I mean. If it did happen, there would be open, open revolution in the streets, except nobody cares in the first place. Or you were at the stage now where the Pirates fan base is so conditioned to be happy when anybody goes out so long as there's lots of prospects coming back in return. Well, yeah, but then you're doing for the umpteenth time. Don't worry about those guys. The guys we got coming up are way better. Exactly, and that's where Pirates fans feast these days. Like I heard a discussion today on one of the local stations about how, well, what they need to do is sign key Brian Hayes to a long-term deal. Okay. But he's just not ever going to do that. Okay. Brian Reynolds is not going to sign a long-term deal. No one they currently have is looking to sign a long-term deal because they've seen too much. The time to sign guys to long-term deals was when they had those good teams in the middle of last decade, but they let the team, you know, be ripped asunder way too early and that just showed, like, he, Brian Hayes is a kid. It showed his dad. It showed his his agent where they were headed in the long run. Mark, you brought up NCAA basketball, too. The Pittsburgh region, well, it features, I think, teams that will bring a good well, fan base. Well, first off, Tim, I brought up not bringing up NCAA basketball. <laughs> Tim, this will be – I'll give you my NCAA perspective. This will be the first year I won't fill out a bracket ever. You're that disinterested in it, huh? Yeah, that just interests. The only thing I did was a buddy of mine in Chicago gets one of those pools where you have a block pool for every game. 
you know what I mean? There's numbers assigned to every game. Oh yeah, okay. And, and you like put in like two thousand bucks, four hundred apiece for five of us. And last year, Tim, I actually won twenty dollars. Like, and my friend thinking it's a trifling sum, he goes, "You want me to send you the twenty dollars?" And expect me to say, "No, don't worry about it." Yes, yes, send it. <laughs> Mark Madden, make sure you listen to him Monday through Friday, 3 until 6 on 105.9 The X. You can check him out weekly here on the podcast at Breakfast with Ben's and at Bet Rivers. Make sure you download the app today for BetRivers.com. Get all your NCAA action there, and you can go to the app and put that on your phone too at Bet Rivers. This is Breakfast with Ben's.